0: Good morning. Um, it's such a privilege to be able to be with you this morning at Shebriness and Bay Baptist Church, even if it's only virtually, what strange times we're living in. Um, I'm Fiona Heddle from um, Winter Gardens Baptist Church on Canvey Island. Prior to um, going into training for ministry, I was a member at Shebriness and Bay Baptist Church over seven years ago now. I not believe it's that long. Um, And I've really very much valued your support over the years, both Jonathan and I have. I just wanted to take this opportunity to say thank you to those of you who still pray um, for us. We've had a really good year at Winter Gardens Baptist Church. Um, There's been a lot of spiritual growth among the fringes. Um, We've had new Christians and we've had baptisms and we're seeing new growth among people who've been Um, Christians for years as well. And so exciting times, the Holy Spirit is is at work on Canvey Island just as he is in Shuberness and Thorpe Bay. So thank you for the invite today. Um, As we come now to um, share around God's word, let's just pray, shall we? Father, I just want to thank you that you have given us the words of life Father, this morning, as we look at your words, as we listen to your voice, would you give us ears to hear, would you soften our hearts, and would you help us to respond to you? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, you might find it helpful to have your Bible or your Bible app open at John 12. Um, This morning, I'm sharing with you from John chapter 12. It's a passage maybe associated more with Easter time than with uh, the harvest season that we're in. But as I prayed for you last week, and as I asked the Lord what He might want me to share with you, a sentence from John 12, verse 24 came to mind, and it was this Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Actually, that's probably maybe quite apt for harvest season, isn't it? Um, but as I read and prayed around this passage, I found myself drawn very much to the latter verses of it, verses 24 to 26. And I found myself thinking about choices, which at first might seem a little bit odd to you. And As I listened, I was reminded of Deuteronomy um, chapter 30, verse 19, I have set before you life and death. Choose life that you and your descendants um, may live. And um, as we look at John 12 and we look at the context that it's set in, we realise it's very much about life and death. So before we go deeper into these verses, let's look at the context in which the passage is set. As I said, the passage is um, maybe more associated with Easter. It's the lead up to Holy Week um, or coming up towards Holy Week and Jesus' death and resurrection. Chapter 11, prior to chapter 12, is set in Bethany, which lies just out on the outskirts of Jerusalem, on the eastern side of the Mount of Olives. And we're told that in Bethany, um, Jesus' friend Lazarus dies. And by the time that Jesus arrives, he's been buried, or um, Lazarus has been buried for three days, and the mourners have already gathered. So we know that Lazarus is well and truly dead. Um, Jesus comes to the tomb, he weeps at the tomb, he weeps for his friend. And then he orders the grave um, stone to be removed and he raises Lazarus to life again. A bit more about life and death there too. Now this caused division in the crowds and this is where the choices come in because um, there are witnesses to this incredible event and you would think that they would be so amazed that they would all put their trust in Jesus. But that's not what happens. Some, we're told, believed in Jesus and others reported him to the Pharisees who along with the chief, priests were really not very impressed. They see the sort of behaviour or the sort of behaviour from Jesus actually leading to the downfall of the temple and to the downfall of the nation of Israel and so they want to put an end to Jesus quite literally and before he puts an end to everything that they hold dear and so Jesus has to leave Bethany and he goes to a place called Ephraim on the edge of the wilderness, which is a, a about 13 miles distance away from Jerusalem. But it's coming up for Passover. And so Jesus returns in chapter 12 to Bethany, probably to get ready for the Passover celebration. And he then rides into Jerusalem on a donkey in an almost like carnival-like procession as people gather and as they start to celebrate him, wave palm branches um, at him. It's not low-key, let's put it that way. So there's this this, this narrative running through this section of John's Gospel um, prior to chapter 12 of life and death and choices to be made. Now, When Jesus is in Jerusalem at the end of that procession, we're told that there's some God-fearing Greeks who want to see him. Now, generally, God-fearing Greeks are people who are interested in in Israel's God and who are willing to be obedient to him. But they're actually excluded from taking a full part in the temple worship. But they want to go and talk to Jesus and they ask Philip if he can request an audience, if you like, with Jesus. And so the request made by Philip and Andrew on their behalf to Jesus meets with what seems like a really odd response. And we're not told if they ever get to talk to Jesus. We don't know if these Greek people ever got to meet him and to discuss whatever it was they wanted to discuss with him. As Philip asks Jesus if he will meet with these Greek men, Jesus says to Philip, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus goes on to speak about his death and his resurrection and his relationship with God the Father as chapter 12 um, moves on. But the gospel is contained in these few verses of scripture that we're looking at this morning. Up until this point in John's Gospel, Jesus has said, the hour has not yet come. That's why he's always said, um, the hour has not yet come. But in verse 23, that changes. And he says instead, the hour has come. The hour has come. The time when um, he will be glorified. Yeah, the time when he will be glorified. But actually, more than that, more than that has come. The time has come when all of the nations through Jesus Christ will have access to God. No one will be excluded. No one will be on the margins unless they want to be. So our life depends on Jesus' death and on Jesus' resurrection. It depends on his glorification. Now, it may sound strange to hear Jesus' death. Um, described as glorification after all what glory is there in death it's a really odd expression isn't it really way an odd way of saying things why would you glory in death but actually death is the son's revelation of the heart of the father god is love and love is the laying down of one's life so in the cross of christ the heart of god is revealed most clearly Throughout his life, Jesus has been obedient to God and he has done only what the Father has told him to do. He hasn't thought of himself. He's acted um, on behalf of the Father. He's done no more, no less than the Father has asked him. And that is selflessness. That is love and it leads to eternal life. Selfishness is the destruction of life. The self was not created to be the center of our beings, but rather the center was to be union with God, receiving life from Him, life in abundance, life in all its fullness, true humanity. Jesus is the new Adam, and the invitation is to all to come back to God through Jesus and to receive Him by faith, for Him to be the center. The choice is, do we live for God through Jesus Christ, who brings life, or do we live for ourselves, which leads to death? I guess that many of you this morning would say, we chose life. We have accepted Christ by faith. We are Christians. When we came to Christ, we died to self and we now live for Christ. But some of you may still be exploring the claims of Jesus in order to make a decision one way or the other, because a decision has to be made. We can't sit on the fence. We're either for Christ or we're against him. And the choice here is set before you. Which will you choose, life or death? I pray very much that you will choose life in Christ. When we discover the Father's love for us through Christ, through the Son, It's easy to choose life in him. But the thing is, even if we have chosen life, even if we have accepted Jesus by faith as our Lord and Saviour, we're called to continually be choosing life in him. He doesn't stop when we put our faith and trust in him. That is just the beginning. So what do I mean by we are called to continually Choose life in Christ. Well, when we turn to God the Father through Jesus Christ, when we receive the Holy Spirit, our training as a follower of Jesus is just beginning. If you look at those latter verses, we're talking about serving and following Christ. And when we put our faith in Jesus, when we become a Christian, we're born into a new family, and that family is the church, and our discipleship begins there a disciple a disciple is just literally a follower of Jesus that's what it means a follower of Jesus and Jesus says in verse 26 whoever serves me must follow me and where I am there will be my servant also there's work to do on our part there is a cost to following See, becoming a Christian, responding in faith to the call of the Spirit to follow and to serve Jesus is a bit like maybe enlisting in the army. We choose to put in our papers, to leave our current life, to take on a radically different life. We're accepted into the ranks as a beginner. It's a moment of celebration as we're welcomed in by the commanding officer, given the equipment that we need and we meet our fellow soldiers. And the celebration carries on as we begin our training. Let's face it, without training, we can't fulfill our purpose as a soldier, can we? We might be a soldier in name, but it's the training, the following of orders, the developing of various disciplines that equips and enables us to be a good soldier. It's the building of relationships with our commanding officer and with our fellow soldiers that form our character, and help us to develop as a group that can move as one unit. The training will sometimes take place in the classroom. We'll sit back and we'll listen. And we'll listen to others who have been soldiers for longer and who are able to explain the theory to us. Sometimes we'll even study ourselves from books and, get, and really get a grasp of it and get it into our heads, into our minds, into our whole being. Other times the training takes place in the field, we'll go out with others um, and we'll test that theory out, we'll put it into practice and people will be there to helpfully guide us along the way, people who've done it before. And then both failure and success will help us to grow and to develop as soldiers and as a unit of soldiers. Then comes the time for us to fight, we're an army after all. We're called up to the battlefield to put that training into practice. We're called up to the battlefield to actually be a soldier. If we choose not to go into battle, however much training we've done, we're not a soldier. What is the point of applying to become a soldier going through the training if we won't go into battle What's the point of sitting, listening to soldiering explained and then going through all of the pain of practicing soldiering if when it comes to the battle we choose to sit it out? What is the point of that? There is no point, is that? An army is not an individual. The training isn't just for you personally as a soldier, it's for the benefit of your fellow soldiers As you respond together to the commanding officer that you represent. Maybe we could think of it in a different way, think of it in another another way. Maybe you're in a job that you really don't enjoy, it's not fulfilling and you want to do something that is worthwhile, bringing life to you and life to others. So you decide that you need a change, a fresh start, You explore all the options and you decide that you should become a counsellor. You know that it's going to bring you joy and fulfilment. It's what you're made for. It'll bring you life. You're so convinced that you give up your job and you pay the training costs for counselling up front. You love the training. It's absolutely brilliant. You can sit and listen for hours. You are soaking it up. Sitting in that classroom, listening to the teacher is a real joy for you. What's more, the counselling that you have to go through as part of the course helps you personally. And at the end of the training, you sit back content and look for the next training course. It's so great. You just want to lap it up. You're flourishing so much. You know so much about counselling and it's doing you so much good. But the intention of the training was to find a job not only to help yourself, but to help others. And if you finish and you sit back content in your own flourishing, what use is that? You can't call yourself a counsellor. You might know everything about it, you might believe in it, you might enjoy the benefits personally, but you're only a counsellor if you counsel people. The thing is, it's only when you put it into practice that both you and others reap the benefits fully. And the same, it's much the same as being a Christian. We're only truly fruitful Christians if we follow Jesus daily, if we do daily what Jesus calls us to do, if we respond to the prompting of the Spirit, if with the help of the Holy Spirit we continue to die to self and live for Christ. Following Christ means doing what Christ did. Christ expressed his love for us by laying down his life for the world. I wonder how are we growing in love for others? Well, that can only really be answered by how we respond to others. When someone needs help, when someone asks for a job to be done in church, or you see a neighbour or a friend struggling, Do you run toward them or do you run away from them? When someone needs to hear about Jesus, do you gladly talk about your relationship with him or do you change the subject? When people are dying from lack of basic necessities, displaced by war or famine, do you do what you can even though it feels too little? Or do you turn your back and let them fend for themselves? We can't do everything. We're not called to do everything. But when we open our ears to the whisper of the Holy Spirit and we choose to follow Jesus rather than following our inner self, we can do something. And in that moment, we die a little bit more to self and live a little bit more for Christ. And that's discipleship. You see, living for Jesus is fruitful living. Living for Jesus is adventurous living. Living for Jesus is abundant life. Amen.